Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell podcast, where we interview authors, discuss writing-related topics, and talk about the writing process as a whole. If you want any more information about the Morning Bell and what it is, look up themorningbell.net. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics that you'd like to see discussed, email the co-editor of the Morning Bell, Kezia Lebanski, at the email address kezia at themorningbell.net. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and currently we are recording live at the Brunswick Street Bookstore in Brunswick Street. One day I'll actually do the address because I think that would be useful, but I'm sure Lucas or Kezia might um, put it on the actual post. Right, Lucas? Um, joined, um, I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Luke Manley. Luke, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Yeah? What have you been up to? Uh, writing, working, unfortunately more of the working <laughs> than the writing. All right. That's sad. I won't ask anymore then. Um, <laughs> but that's usually the thing. Um, our special guest today is Michael Pryor. Now, Michael writes fantasy and science fiction for teenagers. He has published over 30 novels and more than 50 short stories. He has been shortlisted for the Aurealis Award six times, and seven of his books have been the CBCA Notable Books. His website is www.michaelpryor.com.au. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good to be here, Joe. Fantastic. So... It says here, fantasy and science fiction for teenagers. Yeah. What does that entail? Uh, it entails writing the stuff I like to read. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where most writers begin. Yeah. That's where I stayed. Uh, and for teenagers, mm, it, it, it's, it's a wide church in lots of ways. Mm, that, yeah. uh, I, in my mind, I've got two audiences when I'm writing for young people. Yeah. It's older teens which to me is sort of 15 and 16 right. upwards. Mm -hmm. And then there's the younger teens, that sort of uh, 10, 11, 12 yeah. area. Yeah, I know 10s and 11s aren't strictly teens, <laughs> but you know, we could just go we'll with make it. Do. Yeah, we'll let that slide. And, uh, and, and that's the younger audience. Yeah. So I divide my time between those two. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just great audiences to write for mm -hmm. because they're enthusiastic, they enjoy reading. Uh, when you hear people say that young people don't read, uh, it's it's not true. I tell you, it's not true. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I've looked at uh, a couple of your books, doing research on the guests because that's the professional thing to do. And uh, your Laws of Magic series is for the older demographic. Yeah, yeah that's the older what people. What started that off? Yeah, the the Laws of Magic is uh, is a steampunk series, and I'd been a steampunk fan for a long time. I. I can remember back in the middle 80s just stumbling across Tim Powers, the mm. Anub Anubis Gates, yeah. when it first came out. And I hadn't read anything like that, and I was just knocked out. And I read a few of his other books where he was in that sort of mode. Uh, and then there wasn't much around in that area mm -hmm. uh, yeah. back then. And then it just it lurked at the back of my mind for a long time. And I'd written a number of books, and yeah. I uh, always had a hankering to get to steampunk sometime and simply one day i thought i'll give it a crack yeah, yeah and so that began the first book of the series was blaze of glory mm -hmm. and it was steampunk historical fantasy when i wrote it uh back in 2006 it came out yeah. so i was writing it 2004 2005 uh 
and I was coming to pitch it to Australian publishers. I didn't use the word steampunk because I, I didn't think they'd know what it meant. Yeah. I was, I was right. <laughs> uh, but in, in some ways, uh, in retrospect, it might have been to my detriment because in, there was a new wave of steampunk beginning, really, Something overseas at yeah. that time. And I might have done better to uh, ride those coattails. Nevertheless, I, I, I called it historical fantasy in some ways. It's a fantasy set in a historical period, mm-hmm. in this case, the Victorian Edwardian era. Right, okay. And so that, that was really where the beginnings of it uh, came about, trying to, uh, trying to keep the world nice and historically convincing, yep. but adding elements of the fantastic. Yep. And it turned into a six-book series, which was nice. Fantastic. Um. Before we get your thoughts on this, Luke, because I actually do want to talk about writing for that audience, mm-hmm. which I know absolutely nothing about, um, <laughs> and I would really like to find out. Uh, before we do, uh, we have something to spruce. Um, now, if you're not here live, and why aren't you here live, um, you can download the second issue of The Morning Bell, which is on Luke's mic stand, and it's a QR code, I think. Um, I said that so badly. Um, it's a QR code that you can download for free. It's got fantastic writing um, from emerging writers, uh, fiction, um, poetry. It's all there. Uh, and it's free if you uh, come live. So the next time we do this kind of thing. And it's also half price on the website. So if you aren't here live, then you can get it half price. Um, but definitely keep that in mind. And it's great that the second issue is out. Uh, I look forward to reading it. So, now, getting back to it, Luke. Um, with with that actual audience, like, when you approached writing the Soul Shard Chronicles... Um, oh, back we, to Soul Shard Chronicles. Back to it? that. Uh, um, I'm not going to go too much, because we talked about this last week <laughs> on last week's podcast, which you can catch on iTunes and the website. Um, but with the Soul Shard, like, when you thought of... Did you think of the audience... Um, when you were writing it, did you think, I'm just going to start writing this and the audience will figure it out? Like, it'll figure itself. It's no, it was very much like uh, Michael was saying earlier where I was writing for myself and yeah. it turned out that that's the audience that I'm, I still enjoy the writing for. So yeah. The books, the the, uh, the genres, the setting, the style mm. even. So yeah. I, it, I wasn't trying to aim it at any audience first, mm. no. Yeah. Michael, did... Was that a consideration? Uh, audience, I'm always conscious of audience. Okay. And uh, conscious without being overconscious, if, mm. if you know what I mean. Excellent. That uh, you can tie yourself in knots trying to anticipate what your readers want and trying <laughs> to satisfy their unspoken needs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, you, you do have to write for yourself. You have to write to satisfy yourself that... Uh, uh, that you'll be happy with what, what's uh, occurring on the uh, screen, on the page. But on the other hand, having a sense of audience and who is this for is useful in lots of ways. It does help shape your writing. Yeah. That uh, uh, my sentences, the vocabulary I use, uh, I'm trying to shape for that particular audience that I have right. in mind. Okay. And it can be a very broad audience. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be uh, so narrow as to be restrictive. Uh, I, I'll shape my characters so I think that they will appeal, that they'll yeah. have some uh, some connection point with that sort of an mm-hmm. audience. So I do go backwards and forwards in my mind when I'm uh, writing for younger readers, for the older readers, or writing for adults. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a little bit of a mode shift. 
Right. Okay. It definitely makes sense. Um, I but suppose that that hit me. I'm not trying to save my own work here. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> after I had after I'd gotten some way into the story and realized what audience it was, it definitely did help me shape what what happened and yeah. and how it came it, about. It, it's it, there's a moment when you're writing when you're uh, grappling with this business of producing something that you understand that it's going to be read by somebody. <laughs> And so that that uh, there's a sense of responsibility there mm. that uh, you you yeah. have to make it fit for purpose in yep. that way, and it, it's if you're not writing for an audience, if you're not writing for someone to read it, uh, it it's a very narrow form of writing. It's a, it's a self-serving form of writing, yep. and writing is an interaction. It is an interaction always that mm. you write to be read, yeah, and and that that is an essential paradigm you, you have to keep in your mind. And it it puts you on your metal. If you know it's going to be read, you, you won't... Well, I won't settle for second best. I won't settle for half-baked mm. because I want, I want to show people the best that I can do. Yeah. Me, mm. I might be satisfied with second best. But <laughs> if it's somebody else yeah. out there, I want to do it right for them. Yeah, yeah. So serving your audience. Mm. It's got to feel complete, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah very much right. so. So that's a bit of an introduction for both Michael and also the bit of the genre. Um, we actually haven't had somebody that did uh, young adult fiction. Well, I guess we had Luke, but he doesn't count because he's the co-host. But <laughs> suppose he counts. Um, but uh, let's talk about what we've been reading, uh, what we've been writing. Um, Michael, what are you working on now? Like, What's your new project? Yeah, I'm currently uh, in the middle of a new series. Mm-hmm. And this is a series for the younger, younger age group. So that's yeah. sort of upper primary school, lower secondary school. And it's, a, it's a, at the moment, two-book series. So I've got a contract for two books. Mm-hmm. And the first one is being edited right at the moment. I was saying to Luke earlier that i uh, talking to, emailing my editor backwards and forwards today mm. over some of the nitty-gritty of line edits, but also <laughs> illustrations, which something that I, I'm not terribly used to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and while that's going on, the second book of the series, I completed that a couple of weeks ago, so that's gone into the editing process, and I'm expecting it any minute to get the, the first edit. First edit is almost always a, an overview, a structural edit, mm-hmm. uh, where big picture things I'll have to attend to. So I might well get that next week. So I'll be sort of juggling between those two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have a backburner project that I'm sort of attending to in between, yeah. and that's uh, that's an adult novel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'd, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe the number of people that say, "Yeah, I, I write. I write books. Uh, write books for teenagers." They say, "Oh, that's good. When are you going to write a proper book?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is a big slap oh, to yeah. not just to writers but to all those readers yeah, out there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of readers write adults. So. Oh, yeah. Yes, and some think they are. But it's, uh, it, it, it is something I've wanted to get to for mm. some time and I sort of dip in and out on it. And uh, so that's, that's sort of the, uh, the in-betweeny project at the moment. Yeah, yeah. What about um, the de- a day in the life of Michael Pryor? What <laughs> yeah. consumes your time apart yeah. from writing? Uh, there's, there's time apart from writing? <laughs> Goodness me. I'm, uh, I'm not a writer. I, yeah. well, I, I, am, I am a full-time writer. Yeah. I've been a full-time writer for five or six years now. So uh, my office hours, and mm. I, I try to keep office hours, nine, nine to five or yeah. nine to four, uh, <laughs> where I, I'm at my desk and I'm writing. But 
actually that, that that's sort of a bit misleading because it doesn't mean that I'm writing my my character my story yes. for yeah. uh, seven or eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. In the morning, for example, this morning, I was having to do a little bit of the business of writing. I was emailing people about invoices, sure. so, so yeah. checking up on payments, uh, mm. those things that help me eat, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sort of stuff. So the business aspect of it. In the middle of the day, I had to do some backwardsing and forwardsing with my speaking agency. Yeah. One of the things that writers for young people tend to do a lot of is that we do speaking, yeah. we do presentations, we do workshops mm-hmm. in mm. schools and libraries as um, a useful source of income, yeah. but also a nice way of keeping in touch with that audience we're talking yeah. about a little earlier. Uh, so there are a few things going on there, and you know, they're taking phone calls uh, from uh, from them about mm-hmm. some opportunities well later in November. Um, booking up ahead, those sorts yeah. of things. So there was that. Uh, what else was I doing today? I was also doing some research. Um, I do a fair bit of research about a number of things when I'm writing historical fantasy. Yeah, you've got to get your history facts right. Yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily the big facts of uh, the events or the historical people or whatever. It's uh, social history. Uh, clothes, food, uh, transport, uh, if they're catching up on the news, what are the newspaper, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I have to do a fair bit of that sort of thing. And then in between doing some actual writing, uh, the next chapter of that next story. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, as I said a little bit earlier, talking to my editor about what was going on with the latest book and uh, how it was unfolding and how it's a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Uh, my words, not hers. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it, it, it's a great life. Suits me yeah. down to the ground. At, uh, uh, and I have the best job in the world, mm. well, for me anyway. Yeah. And uh, so that's a, that, that reasonably typical day today. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, coming out and d- doing recording a podcast, mm. it's just gravy on top. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to think so. You mentioned before the podcast that you, before you were a full-time writer, you had a quota of a thousand words every day. Do, what, yeah. do you still adhere to something like that now you're a full-time writer, or is it more hours? Or? Uh, it, it's now I'm a full-time writer. It, it is hours, and my my efforts in a strange way are more diffuse and less focused. Uh, uh, when I had the day job, and I was explaining to Luke that I would be at work in the day and then come home and. Uh, cook dinner, see the family, then go off to the study, and I would aim for a 1,000 words a night. 1,000 words a night. However long it took, I'd do a 1,000 words. And I'd do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'd have Friday and Saturday off and start again on Sunday. And in my mind, that, that sounded like 5,000 words, 6,000 words a week. Mm-hmm. So in a month, that's 20,000 words. Uh, in six months, that's... 100,000 words plus. That's a novel. There we go. Uh, and so in a year, with drafting and redrafting and doing any of that sort of backgrounding work, mm-hmm. I could write a novel a year that way. And that was um, that sort of worked out. I actually wrote, I think it was 18 novels while I had a day job. One year I wrote three novels. And uh, that, oh, that's actually – I don't want to do that again because I, that was, <laughs> I didn't sleep much. That would have been hard, yeah. It was, that, that, was, that was silly. It was just a combination of deadlines and contracts and things. And, uh, and that was when the germ of, yeah, I've got to give up the day job <laughs> really started to come yeah. home. But uh, now there, there are two sort of phases. There's this sort of um, editing, researching, planning, doing a bit of writing phase, and then there's the red-hot – 
I'm I'm in the middle of a draft phase. When I'm when I'm writing a draft, uh, yeah, I'll spend seven or eight hours a day uh, just just writing uh, flat out, uh, going for broke. And in in a day like that, if I can't do five thousand words, yeah, I've, I've been dawdling. Mm-hmm. But uh, my record was eight eight or nine thousand words in a day, Ooh. and that was. Yeah, I was cooking that day. This is just all working. Lost a few kilograms. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I wrote, wrote, what was it, an 80,000 word draft. I did that in three or four weeks mm. um, yeah, towards the end of last year. And, and that wasn't overdoing it either. And it, it's just a joy to be able to have. I, I can, I can uh, do five days a week writing that draft and you get you get such a chunk of writing done that way yeah and it's it, it's fantastic I, I, I love it you get in that zone and poof, yeah. yeah off you go good You're somewhere else yeah i had a couple of questions i don't know if we've got a lot of time i had a couple of questions about um your writing areas children's writing yep. um some people would say that writing for children is very easy where where do you stand on that yeah, it's it's just as hard, if not harder, mm. than writing for grown-ups. Mm. Uh, ki- kids are surprisingly surprising. They're, they're discerning. They, they they know what they like, and they're also probably a little bit less tolerant, mm. a bit more impatient than grown-ups. Grown-ups will yeah, they might grit their teeth and read twenty or oh, thirty yeah. page, forty page. <laughs> kids, oh yeah, yeah you, you've got to grab them. Uh, quickly mm-hmm. and you've got to keep them interested as you go along mm. they, they're also they're also refreshing in in their they sometimes they're reading something of a sort they have never encountered before whereas an adult mm. you can read a book oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah yeah i've read this sort of thing <laughs> this is this is good and interesting and fun but yeah That's yeah no, lacking, i know yeah. where we are here mm-hmm. but kids they go Wow, yeah. he's a twin, and that one's evil. Wow, first time, yeah, yeah, and and getting in that sort of yeah. writing for kids is terrific, but it does. There are responsibilities, and there are opportunities. It's it's great fun. That leads into my my other question that I had for you. Do you try to write in parallel? Do you like do you try and put messages? Four kids in their writing, or is it more for the story than the... No, messages are for putting in bottles, not yes, in stories, <laughs> really. Good. And I know there are writers who do start with, they, they have a message, they have yeah. a theme, but I, I can see it coming. I, personally, I hate those sort of books that mm. where, they're, where they're preaching at you. Yeah. It's just yeah. so obvious <laughs> and heavy-handed. Um, and they win awards, but what would I say? <laughs> so, it, but me, no, 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 no. My... My messages are more, I suppose, in a way, they're more subtle. They're more implicit about uh, about the things that I endorse. Uh, you know, friend, friendship, they're doing the right thing even when it's hard. It's mm. uh, it's trying to keep your head up. It's mm. like moral grounds rather than yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, there, there's there is this streak of uh, Victorian didacticism. <laughs> that that it still is in books for young yeah. people today. It goes back to Victorian times, yeah. where the the purpose of books for young people was to teach them something, a moral lesson, yeah. something they should or shouldn't do, and it was explicit. Yeah, mm. 
a lot of that feeling still still has filtered into books for young people today that people as you say, they have a message, they have a lesson, they want mm. kids to learn, so they're going to put it in this book, they're going to cloak it in a bit of fiction, and <laughs> kids won't notice. Well, yeah, they, they can, they they can, they can pick it. I did. They can pick <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, no, that, 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 that's not my sort of writing, and I, I want to tell a story. And if there's stuff in it that's useful for them to uh, reflect on their own lives, of ways of doing things, of ways of being, Mm. that's okay. I want to jump in on that because Mm -hmm. um, you said you don't put overt messages in your stories. Um, But a lot of writers feel like uh, what they write is an expression of themselves to a certain extent. And their beliefs, their moralities and what they stand for inevitably come out in their writing. Do you see that in your writing? Like, yeah. can you pick it? Uh, do you seek to get rid of it almost? You can't divorce yourself from it. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a book is a reflection of the writer mm. and, and has to be. It, uh, and it, it's conscious. You consciously do something, but it, every other line, it's unconscious. It yeah. just seeps in. That books are this construct mm. of the writer and the times in which they live. Yeah. And anybody who who says that that's not so i think they are fooling themselves yeah. and and but that's not a bad thing that uh it's uh, one of the reasons we read that we we uh every book is some sort of a personal reflection on something or other mm-hmm. and yeah i mean there, there are cases where the narrator is not the author i mean don't don't make that mistake mm, yeah but uh the the the, the author's Views or values, the, the the way they see the world, yeah, they're, they're in Filter every in. story they write, yeah. and you, you just can't get rid of them. Um, moving on a little uh, in the actual uh, podcast, and um, I want to see how uh, your writing impacts your viewing of what you view, what you read, and how that, um, whether you see something and you go, oh, that's a good idea, or um, whether you just watch things for enjoyment and then think up oh, that's good or that's bad and everyone's a critic these days um uh for good or bad uh so in this section i guess we talk about uh, what we've been watching uh particularly at tv uh, film um luke uh have you redeemed yourself you said you watched once upon a time you said it was good and then you said it was bad how is it going uh yeah it's, it stopped <laughs> <laughs> i i stopped after the second season okay um all, ha- all happy for other people to watch it, but I just couldn't stomach the story anymore. Yeah, yeah. What did you think happened uh, that made you go, that, that's enough? Repetition. <laughs> Repetition of the big events that really impact everybody in the story. And you see yeah. it happen again and again. Every single person in the story is affected in just about the same way every time. You think, yeah. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> well, something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something interesting. You got a lot to play with in a fairy tale world, but they don't seem to have a they lot of ideas of how that. to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite interesting. Um, anything else you've been watching? Um, oh, gee, that's a good question. <laughs> have to skip me for the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, I do have some. Michael, notes. you have you seen any uh, of Once Upon a Time? Heard of it? Or I haven't seen it? Once Upon a Time. It, it's funny these days because you're aware of all of these yes. things that you haven't watched. Yeah. And <laughs> so, sometimes you think, 
yeah, I don't need to. Yep. But there are other things you really wish. But you have to ration yourself because uh, watching is a commitment. Yep. Mm. And it takes hours and hours. hours. So I I really find there are things I know I would like. I'd, I'd, I'd like to watch Arrow. And I've never got around to actually sitting down... Because I know it's mm. a commitment, yeah. and if I watch that, I won't have the time to watch these, these yes. other things. Yeah. But I was, I was saying to Luke earlier about reading that yeah. uh, I, I, since I've been writing and taking writing seriously, mm-hmm. I, I, I read in two different modes. I, I can read just for pure enjoyment still. I just love a good story. Yeah. But I can also read analytically mm. where I'll be looking at a story and go, ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. And I'll yeah. look at the unfold, look at the characterization, look at the dialogue. Same with viewing, yeah. that with viewing things, yeah, I can just still get just lost and swept away, just that enjoying pleasure, it yeah. for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And at other times, I'll be watching the viewing for yeah. the writing, yeah. for the writing, how they write, wrote that, how they structured it, how they kept it consistent, mm. how they made the most of the world they set up or didn't. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I'll be watching uh, for inspiration and mm. ideas, and yeah. that happens all the time. I was saying that I've written a lot in this sort of historical fantasy yeah. area of uh, Victorian, Edwardian England. So, yeah, I'm watching Downton Abbey. Absolutely. Right. Yep. <laughs> Every episode. Yeah. Uh, and partly because it's it's a lovely visual reminder of a time. They're very careful about their details yeah. of uh, the clothes, yeah. uh, the setting, the, the cars, all of that sort of stuff. And then I find myself taking note of those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. Mm. But it's well written too. It's uh, Julian Fellows. Uh, he he knows what he's doing. He knows how to create a world, mm. and he has created a world there, and he's created a cast of characters. And in some ways, uh, I see there's a lot of similarity with uh, Game of Thrones, yes. believe it or not. <laughs> Large cast of characters. Yep. George R. R. Martin, one of the things I was really impressed with what he did was large cast of characters kept it all under control. All yeah, the different narrative threads. He's, he's a master signposter. Mm. So he gives you little reader signposts. Say, ah, okay, we're now over here and we're going to be following this person. Uh, I'm not lost. <laughs> yeah. And Fellows does the same thing. He follows the characters and they've all got their own narrative thread. They've all got their own motivation, their own backstory, their mm. own lives. And they're, they're dropped in deftly and subtly which mm-hmm. is what I like to see. So oh, fantastic. That sort of stuff. Yep. So down Abbey. Interesting. Yeah, that's, Might give it a go. Yeah, it's <laughs> well done. It's well done. Um, that's what I thought about the first season of Once Upon a Time. They did have all these different characters from the yeah. fairy tales with yeah. different backstories and it was all very good. Well. Yeah, good, yeah. good set up. It started out really well and yeah. had all these different unique things and I was like, oh, that's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've already given my other opinions of the next season, but yeah, the first season was a really good start off. Yeah. For it. it just so it did have through. all these different people, mm. different threads, different narratives. They all combined them, different places. Um, yeah. This is a good really modern well. TV series. Yeah, yeah. 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 Series where, where you have a setup, where you have a lot of characters, mm. we've got an unusual situation. Mm. It's what they do next yes. that matters, doesn't yep. it? Um, for me, I've been, and I said I would get back to this eventually, and I, I am uh, Da Vinci's Demons. I huh? finished um, uh, the season that is season two yes season two uh and i was having doubts um around about halfway through season two because i really enjoyed season one i think um you're playing with a time period that's incredibly interesting Mm. right it's the medici's it's all you're mixing politics 
and the way they do Leonardo's um, whole uh, how he thinks about things and how they really go into his mind in those it's fantastic screenwriting um, and they sort of lose a little bit of that as they go on they carry this whole thread of like oh let's show what he's thinking um, but it gets a bit superhero-ish a bit and that's what I'm, I sort of commented on the last podcast and finally I finished it and I'm on the fence now. It's it's not really. Uh, I'm, I'm probably interested in seeing where it goes, um, but I want to see them refocus. I want them because uh, he's he in a way uh, the character goes away from um, the setting that you've gotten used to, and in a way, I guess that's probably why the, the viewer is also a little distance from what's going on. Okay. Now he returns. Uh, the hero returns. He's changed a bit. He's learned some life experiences. Um, so I want to see where this goes. Uh, and if it does go back to that, um, it would be really interesting. It's just a thing I've noticed is when um, it's like reaching for the stars. You know, you have a really good tight concept. You've got this um, really well-modeled world. And um, uh, uh, David S. Goya, I think, is the writer. And he's a master of what he does. Uh, and I think he works best in these really contained environments. Um, hmm. uh, um there was something that somebody said. It was um, constrictions uh, em- embrace creativity. Um, if you have the whole world to play with, often you're lost within it and you, and you can't really focus. <laughs> so that's my um, current feeling on Da Vinci's Demons. We'll see where they go. I'm interested, but um, skeptical. Uh, so let's move on to um, a topic and the final portion of the podcast. Um, and that is... Engagement and tension in writing. Uh, now, the way I've sort of broken it down and sort of helped the readers, uh, or the listeners rather, is engagement should exist throughout your book. You should always be engaged with your book. Tension is a tool to provide engagement. Um, so can- tension can be double-edged because if the payoff to the tension isn't satisfying, it gets rid of your engagement uh, sometimes. Um, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall... Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. What happens? It's serious. This is serious. Come on. Um, It's Shakespeare for kids. Uh, And in a way, one, important life lessons. Don't sit on a wall, kids. Don't be an egg. Um, But but the important thing I'm talking about here is that tension. Uh, He sits on a wall. He falls. That sentence break is like, what's going to happen? Is he really an egg? Does he get scrambled or does Humpty Dumpty die? Um, because it's Shakespeare, uh, he dies. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's uh, I guess, the most obvious way of looking at tension is crime. Because uh, more often than not, the tension is the very thing about the entire engagement. It's the heart of your engagement, that, that tension. Putting your character in danger also encourages uh, tension. Uh, the threat of danger is also uh, even more frightening than seeing the danger. Um, it's often what you don't see that's scarier. Um, so uh, I guess a way to illustrate this for me would be, uh, what if Baromir actually got the ring from Frodo? Um, what if he did? And that question is put in the reader's mind. There is tension in that encounter. It reinforces our thought, not just about Baromir, but everyone else. What if anyone else but Frodo gets that ring? Um, so that's my take on tension and, and what I think it can do for a story. 
what is not said is often the most terrifying. So I'd like to hear both your thoughts on this, and Luke, if you get into it. Um, but Michael, what do you think? Yeah, it's, um, it's important. Mm. Like, tension and engagement are important. And uh, you're saying that uh, tension creates engagement. Mm-hmm. But it's also true that engagement creates tension. Yeah. That mm. uh, when I was uh, thinking about the topic you floated, that, mm. uh, that, that was the way that I, I saw it. If you have no engagement with the characters, there's no tension. It mm. just okay. doesn't matter. Yeah. And this is one of the fundamental things about uh, about writing a story that uh, it, it's come home to me um, mm-hmm. more and more over the years that uh, it, character's everything. Character yeah. is everything. Mm-hmm. That if you don't create characters that engage, it just doesn't matter that they're going into that dark alley where there could be the guy waiting behind the dumpster with the. And you just, well, yeah, okay, but you want to keep yeah. turning pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have to create the characters that uh, mm-hmm. engender that engagement, that connection. Yeah. So that the tension will then ramp up. You really will be concerned for them and what they're going into that dark, shadowy alley. Yeah. Uh, so that it's one of the one of the tools of of writing is that uh, creating characters that engage and then putting them in situations that ramp up the tension. Yeah. And it's intention one of those escalating things mm. it begins down here and you see you as a writer you seed it you drop those little things mm. in and then a few more yeah. and then you're getting the right yep. uh, readers on board until i often think that uh, a lot of writing a lot of narrative is set up and pay off yeah you set it up mm-hmm. you set something up some situation and then you have to pay off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reader has expectations. You put this stuff here, yeah. there's stuff that's going on, and the reader is, well, come on, show them. Come yeah. on, come on, come on. How are you going to pay off? Yeah. Are you going to, to fulfil my expectations so that I go, oh, yeah, I, I knew, ah, I knew yeah. that was going to happen? Yeah. Or are you going to confound the expectations? Will the reader go, I didn't see that coming? coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, either is legitimate. Yeah. Either's, either's perfectly uh, uh, worthwhile. Mm. It's a matter of uh, which way you're going to take it. it and it, it, it's, all a, it's all a buy-in from the reader. The, yeah. the reader and the writer, we're, we're creating. This, there's a, a contract. Yeah. We're creating something together. Yes. And mm-hmm. yep. we're, we're interacting backwards and forwards through the medium of that book. Uh, and it's, it's a marvellous moment. Mm-hmm. And we, we know we know we're uh, creating something that isn't real, that is a fiction, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't matter. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> Good to have that payoff. Yeah. Um, I think one of the ways I found that um, at least to create engagement to get that tension going was the um, contrast. Uh, if you've got like a lot of the story, any pretty much any story you read is going to have some kind of contrast in there. Mm-hmm that gets you interested. Um, like if we just had the plain mundane story, you wouldn't be interested. If it was completely, even if it was completely extraordinary, you might, you'd, you'd probably lose out on that too yeah. because you need something to connect to. Um, but getting into it, so it's like, for instance, um, you've got this very plain mundane opening for the Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I mean, he... Okay. he um, uh, Arthur wakes up, he yawns, he drinks water, he brushes his teeth, he puts the kettle on, 
but we read all of this with, with excitement because we know something that the character doesn't know. We want to know when he's going to find it out. And you keep getting mm-hmm. tiny little hints that he's noticing it, but not actually noticing it yeah. throughout that whole mundane mm. process that yeah. there's something outside the house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that's bringing us in by putting the two different contrasts there of just every, everyday yeah. life. So that's and the engagement. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because... Uh, uh, a little while ago, I wrote a, a blog piece on Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Mm, yeah, and I called it a masterclass in character. I was pointing. This is a horror novel. Stephen King is a horror writer, <laughs> uh, and to my estimation, I think the first third of the book had nothing horrific. Yeah, it was all about establishing the character, doing a lot of mundane things, but it became more and more engrossing. Because it was done so well, so mm. deftly creating the character, creating connection, so that when the horrific elements came in, it was really <laughs> horrific because we cared so much for this character. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's it's a terrific example mm. of how you do it. Do you, yeah. think, do you think that was heightened by the fact that people know that he's a horror writer? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to get away from that. Extra, yeah, yeah. 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 It's hard that, to get away or is from it that. Was ruined by that? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, I, I go back to Stephen King in lots of ways for looking at how to do those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And you were talking earlier, uh, Joel, about the uh, do you show the reader mm. the thing? Yeah, uh, it, it's a show, show them the monster or not? Do you yeah. keep the monster off stage yeah. or do you let? their imagination build up something uh, more and more horrific in mm-hmm. their own imagination. And mm-hmm. King grapples with that all the time. Yeah. And he, write, he writes about that sort of thing with some real insight mm. uh, and about that moment of tension. You know that tension ramped up becomes suspense, yeah. which mm-hmm. is the, the classic tool yeah. of writing that sort of thing, yeah. that you draw out the moment, you draw it out, you... It's a matter of pacing. Mm. You slow everything down. You get more and more detail. You go right Each into yeah. the character's uh, soul of yeah. how they're feeling at that moment when they open the door to see, or maybe they don't see, depending yeah. on if you're showing yeah, them the yeah, monster yeah. or not. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's good at what he does. Mm. Just should be a third shorter, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, any more comments? Um. I'll thread them out. All right. Um, it's, I think, one of the things that is intention uh, and that, I guess, for me, uh, being primarily a sword and sorcery writer and foraying into fantasy crime, which is focused more on the crime, um, it's where do you draw the line? It's like, where do you um, tie in the reader to the character? And is when you said character is very important, it sort of got me thinking... Um, and when you said you care, uh, I'm going to put those two things together and say it might sort of tie in. Uh, is a likable protagonist always the way to go? No. Yeah. No. You can have an unlikable character. Yep. But you can. Uh, the word care is good. If you care for the character, that's terrific. But if you don't care for them, there still needs to be a connection point. Yeah. It needs to be somewhere that you have connected with that character mm-hmm. so you feel it's worthwhile shadowing them, essentially. Yeah. yeah. If you can't find that connection point, if there's nothing for you to hook on to, then you remain at a distance. Yeah. And being at a distance from that main character, from the point of view character, ruins tension. 
Yeah. Ruins suspense, ruins engagement. So somehow, and this is the writer's toolbox thing, how do you make that character connectable? Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's a loathsome character, you can still do it. Yeah. And you know how you do it? You give them a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there we go. Right, that that Cohen Brothers, um, yes. inside Lewin Davis, mm. that uh, they they got to the end of filming. Apparently, they realised that they didn't have a story, so they gave him a cat, <laughs> and they followed the cat. Yeah. And, Magic, it works. Now, yeah, I, uh, I'm being a little flippant, but it, it's a humanising character. Yeah, okay. uh, you, you will see in lots of movies the, um, uh, the villain will do something, uh, something humane. Yes. Uh, yeah. They will stroke a cat. They yeah. will stop and do something that uh, uh, defies their overall villainy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad people and, do good things. Yeah, it's the humanising moment yep. that gives you the connection point. And mm. so that's one way to do it. And you mentioned Game of Thrones, and I think yeah. that's a fantastic Jeez, example. They're not characters, they're people. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's how <laughs> clever he is. There is that moment where characters stop being characters and their, their backstory... Yeah. Their, do you want another way you do it? I'll give you another one for free. One way you do it is to give your character a mannerism. Mm. Mannerisms are extremely humanising. Uh, the specific way you walk, that idiosyncratic way mm. that you sit in a chair. And the one I often use is uh, how, how does your character think? Just by looking at that character who is thinking really deeply, how can you tell she's thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has a way of thinking. And now you're all thinking, now how do I think? Uh, I hope it's not one of those embarrassing ones. I really. But uh, people, people think with their, their, yeah. their, their, they put their hand on their face, the finger pointy or the yeah. palm. Yeah. Uh, some people put their hand on yeah. the back of the head, uh, drumming the fingers. Everybody's got a little mannerism. Text, and one yeah. way of, of rounding characters and making them a little bit more real is to give them a mannerism or two about ways they go about their life. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they've ramped up a little bit from being just black ink on a white page to be, I know someone like that. And she always, always grabs the bridge of her nose when she's thinking hard. Yeah. And away you go. Your character has started to become You've a person that. instead. Yeah. yeah. It's... Not hard. No, it's extremely hard. Only experts should do it. Or attempt <laughs> yeah, it really. it's, it's, you heard it here, kids. If you're emerging, right? It's stay emerging. Yeah, you um, can't do that. Luke, any comments on that before we wrap? I'm doomed. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it, Drops these, Mike, leaves the room. These are yeah. things you learn. And yeah. they're actually, uh, I, I did say, it's not, it isn't that hard. When, and sometimes it is the light bulb moment. You go, oh, yeah. She's. Cormac McCarthy. That's what he, I can do. That just like him, I'm as good as Cormac. I'll give him a phone call and we'll have a chat. And that doesn't go anywhere, right? <laughs> but yep. those those sort of little mechanics they 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 make a difference. And once once you adopt them, once you see them working, they become embedded in your own writing style. They become second nature, and your writing gets so much better because of it. Mm. Yep. yep. Fantastic. Final comments, Michael? <laughs> Final comments about, about writing, about characters, about engagement. Anything. Yeah. Floor's yours. 
<laughs> no, look, it's, uh, it is one of those things that it's a very reflective mm. pursuit, writing. You've got to think about yeah. it. Uh, yeah, there are times when you're in the zone and you're not thinking about it and it's going unconsciously, but there inevitably becomes a time when you have to read it again and redraft and rewrite it. So you're constantly reflecting on your own practice. Mm-hmm. That's why I like talking about writing, listening yeah. to people, how they go about writing. Mm-hmm. I love reading about how writers write. Right. Uh, yep. And it's always illuminating. Uh, it's always daunting uh, that these people <laughs> do it like that. Whoa. Yeah. I wonder if I and, should try that. And, <laughs> sort of, and you do. You try. If it doesn't work, you don't That's have fine. to do it. Yeah. yeah. Because the more, the more you engage with that aspect, reflecting yeah. about writing, you realise that there are a million ways to do it. And the challenge for a writer is to find the ways that work best for them. Not, 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 not to find the golden rule, because there, yeah. there isn't any. Uh, you have to find the ways that suit you best, that allow you to write at your best most of the time. Mm. And that's a lot of trial and error. But when you try something and it works, you lock onto it. You never let it go. Yeah, for sure. Well, since we do have a full-time writer on the show, I mean, and we were aiming at emerging writers, I thought I have to ask this. What is your secret recipe to becoming a full-time writer? And famous. Don't forget famous. <laughs> yeah, the, the, see, the secret recipe is not to give up. I mean, perseverance is perhaps the quality that I would uh, say gets more books written. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's true. More books have been written through perseverance than through talent. Mm-hmm. There are lots of talented people who write three chapters and leave them in the bottom drawer <laughs> of the desk. Yep. Uh, persevere. I mean, sometimes grinding it through mm. is the best possible thing to uh, to get somewhere. And being aware of uh, what other people say, but also having belief in yourself, mm. balancing that one is really hard. It's mm-hmm. still really hard. I, I find that I find that tricky today. Uh, and. Not giving up, oh, that's perseverance, not giving up, <laughs> but enjoying what you're doing, keeping on reading. Yeah. Read, yeah. Reading's good just for fun, but also for inspiration and not, mm-hmm. not inspiration of the sort, yeah, I'm going to do that, but make he a she and make them dragons instead. <laughs> but saying, I want to write better than that person. It's fantastic. I'm going to do better than mm. that. Really, uh, really ramps up your, uh, your horizons yeah. in lots of ways. And one thing I've heard is that the idea behind writing is you've you've read so much and you, you you've run out of books to read. You need more. You have to write it. You have to put it on paper yourself because you've run out yeah. of them. Mm. Yeah, I always have the feeling that I want to do for other people what those writers have done for me. Mm. I just I I love reading. Still love reading today. Mm. It's one of my just about my favourite pastime, and I love it when people get that same thrill uh, out of reading my books. Mm. And then they let me know and they talk about it and then they go and tell other people and then they go and buy lots of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> really important. <laughs> Keeps you writing. Yeah. Um, what sort of jobs can we emerging writers expect to have? I mean, I've got an office job. But what about you? I, yeah. I read in the start of one of your books you had a few interesting ones. Oh, yeah. Dad, look, I, I did lots of jobs. But uh, it, you can always find time to write. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I know, I know. Lots of people say I don't have time to write, <laughs> and everybody's different. But you can find time to write. It might only be ten minutes, ten minutes at a time. You can write a novel ten minutes at a time, five mm-hmm. minutes at a time, if you desperately want yeah. to. You don't need to have a month of uninterrupted uh, writing time. 
because you're never going to get that. I mean, really, if, you, if you've got a day job, you're never going to get that. So you will put off writing forever. Yeah, I'll Make, do it when I'm free. I'll there, do it when I'm free. there, I've heard that so many yeah. times. Next uh, week. Next week. And I told myself that for years. And then I realised, hold on a second, I'm not getting That's anything not, done yeah. here. Yeah. So I just wrote when I could. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to write badly enough, yeah, that'll work. It mightn't be the way I want to write. Yeah. But it worked. And it worked well enough to get me off the ground, to get me a bit of momentum. And the more you write, the more uh, stories you get around the place, the, the, the greater your credibility, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so then when you approach a publisher or a magazine with a story idea or something that you'd like to do, yeah, it, um, they take you a bit more seriously. Mm. Yep. Um, before I get your final comments, Luke, I just want to say to the audience, uh, the live one, um, that there will be a Q&A session, that's if we have questions and they need answering, uh, for Michael, Luke, or myself. Um, so while you're thinking of your questions, uh, I've got my mic uh, that I'll hand to you. Um, if you come up to the front, then I'll say, uh, say your name uh, and your question, and well, away we go. Um, so Luke, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. It's been great to have Michael on the show. Um, oh, th- thanks for asking. Really, wasn't sure if we'd managed to get him here. Um, we spent a long time trying to get in contact with him. In the first time, had to sneak into one of his kids' shows. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> oh, I remember. Didn't fit in quite as well as oh, I thought I would with the crowd. We totally <laughs> fit in. Just the six foot, six foot kids in the corner. Uh, Fine. Young at heart. Exactly. Oh, that's right. It was a good session. Yeah. Oh. Good. <laughs> Love Build, a good building review. Your, building your world. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, questions. There you go. Go hey, um, Matt Violi here. Uh, you were talking about characters and, and villains and everything like that, but that seemed a very black and white uh, way of thinking it, because really, no one is a villain. Even the villains think they're not villains. Uh, what do you do when you've got a character like Humbert Humbert from Lolita? I mean, like. He's a prick, but you kind of feel sorry for him at the same time. Yeah. I mean, so, we're talking about a master here, really. Yeah. And, and I, I, was, um, I was using shorthand. Mm. Yeah, of course, uh, there are black villains and there are white and white heroes. But, yeah, it's the grey middle ground where most of your characters will be. Mm. And one of the most fascinating things to play around with is a villain who doesn't think he's a villain that is honestly believes in what what they're doing is for the good of people. Uh, yeah, but they're being really awful. Then he wouldn't what they actually do. be a villain, though. It'd be, the good guy would be a villain as well. So yeah. everyone's a villain and, and a hero. And they're just labels when you come oh. down to it. But it's com- generally complexity is good. <laughs> Complex characters in lots of ways. Having a, a rich inner life, a rich backstory, and rich motivations. No, nobody's ever motivated by one thing. We, we all were looking around here at shiny stuff and we're also <laughs> thinking about what uh, is due at the end of the day and the end of the work week. We have many, mm. many motivations that uh, keep us moving. And all. People are complex and contradictory. Uh, if, if you write characters that are complex and contradictory, yeah, you're really on a winner. Cool. Good question. Any others? Well, this is an early we night. have answered wow. every question yeah. that they've... Uh, yeah, I know. Literature complete. We no. figured it out. That's okay. Famous. 
Every one of you. Um, Don't worry, guys. It's half price at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, a final spruik for the uh, uh, morning bell. The QR code is right in the front. So um, go ahead and download that for free and have a read. Uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We'd love to have you back at some point. Yep. Be happy to. Luke, um, as always, I mean, you're the co-host, you know, <laughs> I'm always here. I live here now. But good to see you again. Good to have you on the show. And thanks Thank to the you. live audience. You guys were great, quiet, couldn't hear a thing, um, except the question, obviously, uh, which was good. So um, those listening online, you missed it. But uh, half price for The Morning Bell if you want to go on the website, which is themorningbell.net. Join us next time. Exactly. Michael, where can we find uh, you? Where does Michael Pry hang out on the interweb? Yeah, website's probably best, uh, www.michaelpry.com.au or Facebook or Twitter. I'm sort of uh, doing all sorts of stuff around there. Mm-hmm. Easy to find. Go- Google me, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a verb. <laughs> hey, it's, it's interesting because there is another Michael Pryor out there oh. on the web, and he's a software developer in somewhere or other yeah. in the States, and we have this ongoing Google battle to see who gets who top gets ranking. Who gets the top <laughs> ranking. But I figure I've got him beat because last year, he on his Google Plus page, up the top he said, Michael Pryor, I am not the Australian children's author. <laughs> I have defeated him. (laughs) The battle won. All right, Luke, um, where can we find you? What do you got coming up for us on your blog? Oh, yeah, I'm sticking up a review every week at the Mm -hmm. moment. Um, So you can find me at thesoulshardchronicles.com or at thesoulshard on Twitter. Um, Either one works, really. Fantastic. Always updating. Great. Anyways. Looking forward to it. We'll check it out myself. Uh, you can find me on my website, thepenofjoel.com, and on Twitter, thepenofjoel, all that unified branding. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for listening, and uh, we hope you join us for the next episode, and that episode will be on the 15th of... What month is this? This is April, isn't it? it yeah, is it's April. April. Yep. Thank you. Um, uh, 15th of April at same time, 7 o'clock p.m. The guest we have on for that is Dr. Ewan Mitchell. Now, he is a bit of a genius when it comes to e-publishing, uh, and I'm looking forward uh, to um, frying his brain for us and get some information and, again, figure out how to be famous. So, hope you join us for that show. Please um, come on in on the live venue. That's awesome as well. So, thanks again, and we'll see you next time.